You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions, and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. Today, my guest is Elaine Chong, Senior Vice President of Global Commercial Banking at Bank of America and President of the Philadelphia Chapter of Ascend Leadership, a national nonprofit that develops Pan-Asian talent. Elaine, welcome to the show today. Good morning, Laura. Happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. And I have been trying to get you on the show for the better part of the last year, more or less. So I'm so glad you've finally been able to carve out a little bit of time and come join me. Elaine and I have gotten to know each other, I think, since one of the first times I spoke at perhaps one of Ascend's organizations or perhaps before that. But um, nevertheless, give us your 30-second elevator pitch. Well, you know, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Ascend. But of course, in my bank, Bank of America is one of the largest banks in the United States, and many of you are already familiar with Bank of America. So my 32nd elevated pitch will be around Ascend. Great. So Ascend is a national membership nonprofit organization whose mission is to support and develop emerging talent amongst Pan-Asian professionals. The organization has a a 60,000 reach in North America, and Ascend fills a unique space in facilitating the current dialogue around DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion with Asian Americans and corporate America. It's a place to be inspired by role models, gain opportunities for networking and mentorship, professional development and training. And most importantly, now more than ever, is a platform for our collective voices to be heard. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much. Crystal clear. I'm sure we'll be talking about Ascend as well as Bank of America through the rest of the show today. But at the end, we'll make sure that everybody gets more information about how to look into and possibly become part of or otherwise support Ascend and all that it has to offer. So let's see. Tell us first, with all that you've just described, what's your favorite part of your job and why? I love my job. It is far more than that, however. In addition to my official duties, it gives me a platform to serve which is something I discovered somewhat later in life. It's truly taking to heart the challenge by our CEO to employees and customers. What would you like the power to do? Mm. That is our branding. And I've been able to leverage my professional platform to build upon my connections internally and externally through my involvement in resource groups, the bank's DNI initiatives to gain visibility and support the work that I do at Ascend. It's all about amplifying the voice of Pan-Asians and being effective allies for other minorities. I'm grateful for this privilege by being in a position to lead and impact. The visibility has also proven to be advantageous from a professional standpoint, which I was particularly seeking, but just happened. So, for example, I was the recipient of the 2020 Global Volunteer Award at Bank of America, Mm. a very select group of folks amongst the 200,000 plus employees. And so I was uh, very honored by that. And that's primarily in recognition of the work at Ascent. So that's been doubly rewarding. That's amazing. And 
of course, as you mentioned, any with regard to amplifying the voice, you know me, anything that's about helping people find their voice, amplify their voice, literally, figuratively or otherwise, I'm all about it. So glad to help promote that opportunity for you as well here on the show. Now, tell me about something that is either what's happening now that's exciting or something that's upcoming that you're excited about and how you are going to be mindful of your communication style, your approach, your skills, et cetera, in working on that new initiative. I'd like to talk about the current conversation around the anti-Asian bias sentiments that we're witnessing, Laura, the hashtag stop Asian hate conversation. I believe this is the most significant and most visible targeted discrimination that the Chinese community has seen since the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882 when the U.S. banned Chinese immigration. It was the first and only major federal legislation to explicitly suspend immigration for a specific nationality and was only finally repealed in 1943. My opinion in all of this is that while racist behavior exists and will always be around for one reason or another, I believe for most people, we can all benefit by promoting intercultural understanding of customs and history of the people. There are different communication styles by different cultures, let's face it. And so much of what is required to succeed in corporate America is our ability to articulate and be assertive. That is generally not the DNA of Asians. Please excuse my stereotyping. For me, I had to cultivate the skill and continue to do so every single day to get better at it. And when I first arrived in Australia, when I completed my last year of high school and college, I listened. I listened to the way people talk whenever I'm out and about. I listen to TV, radio, newspapers are great sources of learning. And mostly I have benefited from being in a biracial marriage. I can tell you it is a learned skill. And I was fortunate enough to have a great teacher in my husband who continues to correct me to this day. And I wonder. So just to clarify there, your husband is what? He is American. He is American what? Because we don't want to stereotype that all Americans are one thing either. He's white. He's white, born and bred in Massachusetts. And so, you know, he, he has a lot of fun. Uh, I don't know whether you've heard of Malifors, but I'm apparently quite good at it. Say it again. What is the word? Malifors. Spell it. Can you spell it for me? Yes. M-A-L-A-P-H-O-R-S. And let me explain what it is. This is where I unintentionally blend idioms or metaphors together. Mm. So I would say something like, um, you know, burning the midnight oil at both ends, you know. Something. Oh, that's cute. Okay. Oh, that's pretty hilarious sometimes. Yeah, I've never heard that term before. I usually, I think I'm usually good at keeping on top of all those labels in, right, in my yeah. work. And that's a new one. Okay, that's blending right. the metaphors, malaphors. I love it. Malaphors. So he gets to enjoy those and he gets to correct me. Though he wished sometimes he didn't have to because it's just, um, you know, quite funny and I have to laugh at it myself. So let's back up for a second, because you mentioned Australia and a few things that you have really sort of traversed the globe, not just on business trips, but can you give us a quick historical trajectory of where your life has gone as far as where you've lived? Yes, of course. So I was born in Malaysia and I left Malaysia to go to school in Australia. So I did my high school year and my college undergrad and and postgrad in Australia. And from there, I started my banking career where I you know, ended up in the UK and Europe for a short time and then back to Australia and ended up in Asia in the early 90s in Singapore. Where in Asia? In Singapore. Okay. And I had regional responsibilities. So, you know, I traveled the entire region for most of the time and then met my husband in Singapore 
He's a chiropractor, uh, was a chiropractor practicing at the time. And when we got married and started a family, we decided to move to the state. So here I am uh, about you know 20 years later and feeling very, very much part of America. So I, you know, my allegiances are quite split between Australia and the US. And that sort of speaks to my self-identity and how I feel about being a global citizen a lot more times than not. Sure. And of course, from country to country and within the broader generalizations of country behaviors and attitudes and expectations, there are, of course, smaller and smaller subgroups and communities thereof. So yes, with the understanding that in that we are discussing a lot today about intercultural communication in particular, we will, of course, be talking in terms of generalities. And I think it's important also to distinguish between a generality and a stereotype. I mean, generalities are broadly understanding that these are sort of rules of thumb, but that everybody's different. There's always a it depends. And the analogy that I use is that you can generalize about cultures, but at the same time, everybody is so different. If you think about how many people have siblings, biological, full blood siblings who are so different from them that they cannot understand how they possibly came out of the same gene pool, that clearly it's not simply about, well, you're both, you know, Italian-Americans or you're both Hong Kong Chinese or you're both whatever else. It's So there's room for variation in all cultural groups. But for the sake of having a, a reasonable conversation, we are talking in general tendencies for what's expectations, values that are held in general in certain cultures, et cetera. Like you mentioned earlier, assertiveness and being able to advocate for yourself, what it means to be respectful, what it means to be humble in an appropriate way, et cetera. So we'll be talking about a lot of that today, I have a feeling. Stereotypes in contrast, as far as I'm concerned, are that very distinct line that says all these people do X. There's not the understanding that it is with much variation and contextual dependence et cetera. So to the extent that we use generalizing language, we ask everybody out there to understand that these are generalizations and we are not attempting to stereotype. But if it comes across as such, I'll take that responsibility on me. So with that, let's back up a little bit here. So tell me about some of your challenges, because I'm really curious in what you referred to as far as learning to be assertive in your career and the need to be able to advocate yourself. Where is that a challenge? I mean, I've certainly had so many clients and students over the years who are culturally, ethnically born and raised in China or Chinese cultures or Chinese families, if you can give me a sense of what that experience was like for you, what were you raised to believe, to behave, et cetera, and how was that challenged? Or I feel like there was a disconnect in building your career in the American corporate culture and banking culture for that matter. Yes, really good question. And I think many Asians will relate to my experience, which is, you know, not atypical. Growing up in Asian cultures in my family is the same. We are told to respect the elders and we're told not to speak up and defer to the elders. So generally, when you're talking to an older person or a more senior person, you keep your opinions to yourself. And that is really born out of respect. But in the corporate America and in Western culture in general, that is seen as being an introvert or being quiet or being weak, timid. You know, those are quite common descriptions of Asians. But I think as much as Asians have those tendencies, the skill of being assertive and being outspoken can be learned and it can be cultivated. So what I've done 
over the years is to, you know, build on that skill set, you know, to understand what is the message that I'm trying to convey and be very clear in my mind and be respectful at the same time. So you can be assertive and be respectful at the same time. Yes. And, and try to learn, you know, that fine balance and you practice. You, you just keep practicing. You make mistakes, but you keep practicing. And, you know, if you're so lucky to have a personal tutor, you know, by all means, you know, take advantage of that and just get mentored. You'll get there. I so believe that you don't need to be born into it. And you can still be that polite, you know, dutiful daughter or son back home with your mom and dad, with your grandparents. But when you're at work, you can take on this persona and be more assertive. So it is a learned skill. But in learning that skill, is there a challenge to authenticity and learning to shift? You use the term personas that the dutiful son, the dutiful daughter, the deferential to age and authority and keep your opinions to yourself and then shift gears and say, no, I'm here. I'm a professional. I am the authority in this area. I will voice my opinion, but I will still do so in a way that is contextually recognized as being appropriately respectful, just different. Right. Was that a, did you wrestle with that at all or do you still? You know, my ability to straddle the Eastern and Western cultures have really helped me bridge the communication styles among the global teams that I work with to deliver for my clients. So in the work environment, I think there is a term for this, Laura, you might be familiar, it's called code switching. Yes. My daughter mentioned this to me. Yes. I know parsing out what is being said and more importantly, unsaid is as much the challenge toward understanding the message and communicating yes. effectively. So like I said earlier, I find that, you know, it really does pay to know your audience, know their sphere of influence. You know, what is your ask of she, he, or them? Mm. You know, what are you what are you trying to ask them to do? And how can you generally help them meet their goals? Not you. How do you generally help them meet their goals? It is the same question I ask myself, whether at work or at Ascend, because regardless of our profit motives or non-profit motives, we are, after all, a relationship business, you know, when you think about it, right? One services the client, the other services the professional development needs and advocacy of its members. My secret sauce to being authentic, I think, is believing in my own message, mostly, because I'm a terrible liar. <laughs> I try to be a good listener. Again, a learned skill definitely, you know, did not come naturally to me. We were born with two ears and a mouth. Yes. I make sure I understand the problem before I'm trying to solve for it. So when I present a solution, I speak with passion and with a strong motivation to be helpful because we have the best platform or we have the best solution available. And I truly believe that if I'm genuine, in communicating that, the sincerity comes through for the listener. And finally, the key to success is patience and perseverance. Mm. And time is a wonderful thing. And I find that I just have to keep at it, keep the calling, and just let my authenticity do its work. Sure. So let me give you a quick story to demonstrate my point. Sure. You know, at Ascend, you know, we try to engage as many you know, high-profile speakers to our event. So this, there's a very high-profile speaker I've been targeting for years. He's a world-renowned expert in his field. And so I called up the agent out of the blue, and I said, I really would like to invite you know, so-and-so to my event as a keynote speaker. And he says, okay, he's speaking fees of $40,000. And I said, well, we can't afford 
$1,000. And I, you know, went back to him two months later and I said, you know, so what do you think? You know, have we made progress? And he said, let me give you a big discount. How about $25,000? I said, no, no, you don't understand. I, I don't have $25,000. We're nonprofit. And so eventually, you know, what I did was to tell him, the story of Ascent and what we're all trying to do and the goal and our mission. And finally, I just wore him down and, uh, you know, the individuals spoke at our event at, you know, zero cost. So that's amazing. That took me a year to get there. But, you know, it was worth the effort, worth the time. Sounds terrific. And being able to just be persistent and be persuasive. And they're all mission critical skills. Yes. You know, I'd love to go back to your your point because you used a word that I think is really important and it can be laden with a lot of sentiment. So to just tease that apart just for a moment, the notion of code switching and code switching at its broadest just means shifting from one code or language or style to another. So how many languages do you speak broadly? Well, my primary language these days is English. Sure. And uh, I also speak a little bit of Cantonese, mm -hmm. the language of my parents, mm -hmm. and Malay, which is, you know, the main communication language at school growing up in Malaysia. So those are three very big buckets, right? There's Malay, there's Cantonese, and there's English, all very different. But then, of course, within each one, there are dialects, right? There's, yes. broadly speaking, British English, American English, Australian English, Singapore English, etc. And right. within those, of course, there are narrower and narrower sub-styles, dialects, accents, etc. But then on a much more micro level, there's the idea of switching from what is considered humble enough, even if it's English or Mandarin or Spanish or whatever it happens to be, how respectful, how deferential, how polite, how subtle versus how direct, overt, et cetera. What's appropriate style in your home, given your role versus at the office, given your respective roles and being able to toggle, to turn on and off one versus the other. One may feel more comfortable. You may feel more successful or more at ease in, in using one than the other. But it's not to say that it necessarily should feel inauthentic to do so. I mean, I English is my first language. Spanish is my second, which is not nearly as good as my English, but still, all things considered, fluent. My Japanese is my third language, which used to be pretty good, but I've lived back in the States for 20 years now. So it is more rusty than bicycle at this point. So it's bad, but I would not say it's inauthentic. It's just unskilled. There's a difference and learning to shift the mindset to think in a way that is more appropriate to using the kinds of language and the kinds of phrases and whatnot. When I do have the opportunity to speak with someone in Japanese, I do have to shift quite a bit that is in my mindset and in my approach than I do when I'm speaking in English. But I've learned to understand the value behind the structures and the approaches and the philosophy behind the language. So I can use it and not feel inauthentic, even if it is really clumsy and horrible grammar and probably very inaccurate respect and deference levels in my grammar structures and vocabulary, et cetera. But so just learning to think in terms of the values of that cultural style that you're shifting into and out of without losing yourself, learn to appropriate those new values and attributions into your sense of identity rather than feeling like you have to leave your identity as a fixed entity at the door in order to communicate with this other group. If you can learn to subsume the new stuff into who you are, expanding your own identity, that's where you're going to be most empowered. Does that sound accurate to you? Oh, absolutely. I do that all the time. And when I used to cover the international banking business between Asia and the US, I feel most of the time I was the translator. 
you know, I had my banking hat on, but I was translating, you know, the message from my colleagues in Asia to the client in the U.S. and to my colleagues in the U.S. Because even though we're all speaking English, the underlying message, a no may not be a no in the way that we understand it. You know, so, you know, my role was translating those subtleties um, to say, okay, it's, it's a no or it's a yes. And this is what, you know, what they mean. And so that's solved for that. Right, right. There's a movie, gosh, it was back probably in the 90s, Mr. Baseball with Tom Selleck, who plays an American baseball player who gets traded to a Japanese pro team, much against his will. And he ends up dating this woman. He's got a translator who's at his side all the time. And Tom Selleck discovers at one point that the woman he's dating is the coach's daughter. And apparently the translator has known this all along. And one day he gets very upset with them and he says, why didn't you tell me who she was. And he says, but I did tell you. And he goes, no, wait, when did you tell me this fact? And he says, I told you many torrents surround her. And he goes into a couple of these other metaphors and he's like, see, but yeah, none of what you said is she is Uchiyama's daughter. And the final line was, he said, you know, just because you speak English doesn't mean we speak the same language. Right. And I thought that was such a great way to put it. You know, we all speak the same technical code, but we're not hearing it. We're not interpreting it the same way. So but all that to be said, I think it is important to recognize that within all what we're discussing here, it is possible to reconcile a lot of these different parts of our makeup, the way we've been conditioned, our values, et cetera. It is possible to be assertive and still respectful. It is possible to be an introvert, but still express yourself. Because introvert, it doesn't mean shy or timid or whatever else. They're not synonymous, and people tend to use introvert as a more sort of educated sounding synonym for shy. One has nothing to do with the other. I mean, there may be overlap, but it's not a synonym. You know, and to, to learn to shift styles just like you, you know, have in your closet. We've got a suit, we've got the little black dress, we've got running shorts and sneakers. It's all different styles, but we chose to put what goes in the closet so we are able to participate in all of those different engagements as necessary. So, you know, it's still your style. It's still authentically you. You just know when to dress your body different ways. And similarly, we need to learn how to dress our message in a way that's appropriate for the context as well. Right. Love it. Okay, so. Elaine, it is time for our listener 24-hour influence challenge. And this is an opportunity for you to speak directly to our audience and challenge them to take one step that they can complete within 24 hours to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today? Okay, so here's what I'd like you to do. And please, please make sure you have fun with it. Go on the internet, find a script or monologue. Choose just one where you're required to convince someone else of an idea or product you're trying to sell or or a vacation you want to go on, etc. The more bombastic, the better. And and if it's a script with someone else, have that person challenge you or make up the retort. The idea is to get you to adopt a persona other than yourself. You don't have to believe in the message and you, you certainly, you know, don't need to believe that you are saying it. It's just the character who does and who feels very passionately about it. Adopt a tone or voice that is not you because it is not you, and get comfortable hearing yourself. So that's the challenge. Okay, so it's not just about the, find any sort of pre-written script, a little monologue, a little play, a little, some sort of two-minute script, 10-minute script, doesn't really matter, but find some excerpt 
if you can think of a movie perhaps where you've seen it before, go find the script to that movie. If there's a, a scene where somebody is lobbying or arguing for something, go pull up that little script piece and just play that role. Nobody's watching. You don't have to record it. And unlike everything that my clients end up doing in training and coaching, where 90% of the time you're going to do a recording, you're off the hook this time. This is Elaine's assignment, not mine. No recording is necessary. Just practice saying it to expand your voice. Have fun. Let go. Don't take your content seriously. Don't take yourself too seriously. That's always my mantra. So did I get that right, Elaine? Yes, yes. And the trick here is get comfortable hearing your voice making the pitch and maybe it's a pitch in your voice that you don't usually use, you know, and, and going back to my point about assertiveness, you know, because you're trying to be persuasive. Hopefully you can find a script where you're trying to be persuasive. And so hearing your voice, because it's not you, right, because get out of that, you know, your comfort zone, get out of that mindset. So if you adopt another persona, maybe you're more apt to make those changes in your voice and tone. And here, just get used to hearing yourself, how you can be a certain. Yes. Yes. All right, everybody. You've got your assignments now. So go look around. Think about a favorite movie where there's a really good, somebody's arguing for something. Find that script, find that clip. Or even if you don't have the paper script itself, that's okay. Go and find your, find the movie and just repeat the movie as you're watching it. It can be reciting right along with it. All right. Finally, then let's head and talk about mistakes. We've been talking about intercultural communication. You speak three languages. You've been part of multiple industries and organizations. Somewhere along the line, there must have been one mistake that you made. Can you tell a story about a communications-related mistake? And if you had or could have a do-over, what would it sound like? Yes. So I'd like to share the situation where I was working with a stakeholder who was only accountable for outcome A, Hmm. but I was accountable for outcomes A and B. I engage another individual to try to find an alternate solution to supporting outcome B. And when the stakeholder heard about Is this a second? This is a third person that you're engaging? Yes. Yes. Okay. A third person. So, okay. so when the stakeholder heard about this, he confronted me and basically shouted me down and charged me of you know, being completely out of bounds. So, you know, think about this. So when I made the earlier point that it is absolutely critical that you have a good grasp of the needs of stakeholders and their deliverables. The example demonstrated here shows how critical it is for us to be aware of what they are and to communicate effectively. So in this case, if in a redo, I should have articulated my concerns to the stakeholder and explained why I feel it was uh, worthwhile taking the added step of finding an alternate solution because I have an obligation to deliver an outcome B. Mm. You know, human relationships are messy as you And I I realized as I got further into my career, I have to be prepared to have hard conversations sometimes. Mm. We can all disagree, but the conversation must still be respectful. Yes. Yes. And that's, that's important to keep the emotions in check, no matter how concerned you are one way or another. So give us a little bit of advice with regard to succession planning. I think this is something that many people struggle with, in particular when you're when you are at the top and you're trying to groom your next in line as it were or trying to at least help maybe you're mentoring people, you are someone's advocate, you are someone's supervisor, whatever it happens to be. What advice can you give people on how they can prep their successors and what leadership communication skills will that person need to develop? And for that matter, how did you learn that for yourself, that lesson? Yeah, so I I want to answer this question in the context of my volunteer role as chair of a center Philadelphia. And uh, I think it's really important for me as a leader to show and respect 
and appreciate people's contribution, particularly volunteer contribution, right? Whether it is paid or unpaid work, everyone wants to know they're appreciated and they're valued. Mm. So, you know, what, what I, I think what I'm doing or not doing, it goes to, you know, understanding why my board members choose to be there, mm. right? So in the six years as chair, I've learned that people are motivated to partake when they're learning and growing and that the outcomes align with their interests. And for the team to be successful as a leader, I have to learn to give up control, which I can tell you is not my natural state. And this, this next one is a biggie, is trust, mm. trusting the team. So, so if we fail, we fail as a team. And what I did to minimize failure is that I equipped the team with organizational infrastructure to help correct those quickly if needed. You know, for example, making sure the workload is reasonable for, for individuals, delineating roles and responsibilities, setting expectations and targets and checking in regularly. I practice being a servant leader, you know, as the leader of a nonprofit board. The title to me means just that. You know, I, I love being in a position where I can facilitate opportunities to serve, charting the course for, for the organization, helping people develop leadership skills that will meet their own developmental goals. It is indeed one of the most humbling and satisfying part of leading a nonprofit. That's terrific. And can you, with regard to the communications component, to be able to achieve all of those skill sets that you described, how do they need to be a good communicator? Anything they need to be really mindful of? You know, it goes back to, you know, driving your passion and knowing who you are. And I think the reason for being on the board, for being there, being present, you know, goes back to the why. And, you know, I'd like to talk about this later on as well, is that, you know, why are these people on the board? So, you know, making sure that you can draw that passion out of, you know, the people who are there and to be able to have them, you know, do their best work because that's what they're passionate about. I think if you can't tap into that, the communication part will come naturally. Mm. They will want to express themselves because it's tapping into that passion. So I think as a leader, that is the biggest challenge. And I think it's magic when, you know, all of that comes together. I love it. The magic. And let's talk about, let's take that magic to another level and to another generation for that matter. My last question for you today is if you were asked to give the commencement address at a high school graduation ceremony, and if I'm not mistaken, you have a daughter who is graduating high school. Am I correct? Just graduated high school, right? Just graduated. Congratulations to you and to her. So, okay, mom, you have been invited to give the commencement address, not only to your daughter herself, but for her entire graduating class. So what advice would you give the class, whether or not they're going to go to college, regardless of their majors or their career goals? What's the one thing they need to do to be successful? All right. I would tell them, take the next few years to discover who you are. You know, can you describe your self-identity comfortably? People generally ask where you're from as though somehow that summarizes who you are. You know, my colleague, Jenna Kim, who is a patent creator and filmmaker, shared something quite profound with me recently. Telling you my name, she says, and where I come from is just telling you what you see. My narrative is what you want to hear to know who I am. So... Once you're comfortable in your own skin, I think you're going to be more apt at figuring out what your passion is and career path you might want to pursue. Simon Sinek calls this discovering your why. Mm. The why is the purpose 
cause or belief that drives every one of us. Some are lucky enough to know what their passion is when they're like five years old. Those are the lucky ones. They know exactly who and what they want to become. But for the majority of us, we have to go and discover it. Yes. And it could take a while. It's counterintuitive because you think if it's your passion, you should know, right? Well, frankly, I didn't find mine till I was in my 50s. And I say that not to discourage you. What I'm saying, though, it's there. So I want to stand here and tell you, please continue your search. Mm. You know, subscribe to projects, community work, travel, gain as much experience as you can and consume as many books as you can. I mean, the, the knowledge is just sitting on the shelf waiting to be discovered. Look outside, but also take time to look inside yourself. And don't give up and keep asking those, you know, inquisitive questions, keep building connections near and far, because I believe by following your passion, everything else will fall into place. I truly believe it. Yes. Oh, I love it. I love it. All right, everybody find your passions. So Eileen, now I believe you've got an invitation that you'd like to extend to our audience. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Be my guest. Thank you, Laura. So Please, if you're interested, whether you're, you know, a Pan-Asian member of the Asian community or by any other races, you're all welcome to check out our website at ascendleadership.org, which is our national organization, and ascendphiladelphia.org, which is the chapter organization that I lead. Please uh, check us out and we'd love to have you be a member, join our events, follow us. You know, we have great speakers and great mentors and networking events where you can meet like-minded people who are eager to find their passion and mentor and, you know, help each other develop to the leaders that we are. And I want to encourage everybody out there, of course, if you are part of the Pan-Asian professional community, to look at it for your own opportunity and professional development. But again, I, I am Caucasian, Italian-American, and I've been to uh, and spoken at the Ascend various events that they've had, amazing community just to learn as a professional and broaden your network and learn about other people's experiences, connections, and frankly, just to expand your own. So highly, 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 could not highly enough recommend the Ascend Leadership Organization. In the show notes, by the way, we'll have the link to the two uh, websites that Elaine just mentioned, as well as her additional contact information. Elaine, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure, Laura. Thank you for having me. And thank you, everybody else out there for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and give us a five-star rating on iTunes so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual and hybrid influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. 
the hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.